Today we're going to start a little series. It's just going to last two weeks, but it's all about relationships. And don't we need to focus on relationships? Today we're going to address the negative dynamic of comparison to others. Uh, you might even say that it's, um, it, it's, a, it's a sermon that is about comparison versus submitting. And what is all of that about as a Christian? I want to say today that um, it seems like our culture puts us in competition one with another, doesn't it? And it's hard for us not to buy into that comparison when it comes to our relationships. You know, there's always something or someone that we're comparing ourselves to that we, um, that we want to be or that we want to have. And, and we sometimes call this comparison game that we get into with others keeping up with the Joneses, right? You know the Joneses. You, you know, that's that perfect couple who does no wrong and who has everything they want and who seem to be the happiest people in all of the world. And it creates a sense of jealousy or covetousness within us. We want what the Joneses have. And you know, if we're honest with one another, then, then we know that that, um, that happens to all of us from time to time. With appearance or status or wealth or, or power, uh, we want sometimes what others have. And the Bible addresses that and says, thou shalt not covet. You shalt not want what your neighbor has. We have to take that instruction very seriously. You know, often our status of how we feel about our work or how we feel about who we are is based on how we compare ourselves to others. When we start to play the comparison game, we can come discontent in who we are and what we have. And before long, we find ourselves dealing with unhappiness, even sadness even grief, and we can soon burn out because we're trying to keep up with the Joneses. You know, among the Christian churches in Galatia that Paul started, there was a conflict that was arising in all of them. That was a conflict between um, Paul and what he had taught about the good news of Jesus Christ and the glories of God's grace and a group of people called the Judaizers. Perhaps the Judaizers had become jealous with what Paul was saying and who Paul was and the power that he had and the message that he had. They really called into question. William Barclay, the great biblical scholar of the last century, said that the letter to the Galatians was like a sword flashing in a great swordsman's hand. Paul knew that the gospel was under attack. And his letter to the Galatians is sometimes called the angry letter of Paul because he was confronting these Judaizers who were, uh, were, were, were preaching and proclaiming something that was not the gospel. Perhaps Galatians in its angry tone gave rise to the more um, uh, civil, if you will, approach that he had in Romans when he lays out things so uh, 
clearly. Galatians, not so. There's a passion behind what Paul is writing. There's a big beware that Paul wants to make the Christians in the churches in Galatia aware of. He could sense the gospel was under attack. And if the Judaizers won, the churches in Galatia would never fully appreciate and come to understand completely the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, the Judaizers believed that God's promises were only for the Jews. And the Jews alone and no Gentile could have access to God's promises. Oh, these Judaizers, they were Christian, but they had a radical approach and, and an arrogance about their teaching. That, that was something that Paul couldn't take. For one thing, they believed that God created the Gentiles to fuel the fires of hell. They couldn't stand the Gentiles, and they didn't like what was happening in Gentiles coming to faith in Jesus Christ. So according to the Judaizers, the only way a Gentile man could become a Christian was to be circumcised and to come under the law. In fact, all Gentiles who became Christians had to first come under the law. It was in keeping the law that one could then become Christian. Yet these new Gentile Christians were hearing the good news of Jesus Christ proclaimed by Paul, how he says the law does not save you. It is Jesus Christ who saves you. It was the death of Jesus on the cross that, 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 that paid the price for our sin. And, and we have faith because of the grace that God has bestowed upon us. Paul could see the grace casting a wide net to bring people to Christ, and the Holy Spirit was bringing Gentiles to Christ through this understanding that grace was free. God has offered it to all, and you did not have to come under the law to be a Christian. I want us to focus first this morning on verses 4 and 5 that Tom has already so um, um, read to us, but I want to, to focus on it and read it again. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given. And then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. Do you hear that? That is so very important to our health as people and also to our faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Have you heard the com complimentary expression that he's comfortable in his own skin or she's comfortable in her own skin? You know, that's a wonderful compliment, isn't it? It's a compliment that says, you know, they understand who they are and, and what their gifts are, who God has made them to be, and they're comfortable living into who they are. 
You know, I remembered this week a version of that that I heard in watching our son Zachary play baseball through high school and into college. It it seemed like his coaches were constantly uplifting in one form or another, play within yourself. Play within yourself. When coaches say this, they're, they're, they're really talking about what they want their players to do, how they want their players to play. They know that when they say play within yourself, they are saying this important word to an athlete, don't try to be someone you're not. Don't try to be that person. Be you. Live within your own gifts. Exploit your own gifts. Be the best of who you can be. You don't have to attain the gifts of another. You have gifts. Play within yourself, your own abilities. You know, coaches know that if a player will be all that she or he can be based on that person's own ability, then they can perform at their fullest potential. Do you hear that? You know, for years before COVID-19, I attended a conference that was um, nearly annually. Sometimes we'd skip a year, but the conference was called Leading Edge. And this conference was by invitation only. The pastors of the 100 largest United Methodist Church churches were those who were invited. And to this group, size really mattered. How big your church was, how many you had in worship attendance, how large your budget was. And we gathered there to share with one another. And boy, do we share. You know, I love this group. And some of my closest friends are really in that group. Some of my Um, uh, My very favorite colleagues, really, are part of this group. And and I remember uh, not too many years ago, we met at uh, the Church of the Resurrection in Kansas City. It was shortly after um, Adam Hamilton, who is a great friend, had just completed the sanctuary there. And that church was living into that beautiful sanctuary that had everything you'd ever want in a sanctuary, including the largest stained glass window in the world. I had to remind him that Lover's Lane still had the largest stained glass building in North America, keeping up with the Joneses. And you know, I I noticed that uh, among this group, there were some of my colleagues who really got caught up in that comparison thing, you know, except for yours truly. And they, were, they, they were really in that keeping up with the Joneses kind of syndrome. Some of them got a little jealous at the best practices that were uplifted by some of our colleagues and churches that were uh, running great worship attendance and, and, and how they could raise money related to the ministries and outreaches there. And some of my friends worried about uh, 
the things like how much they were actually getting paid in their particular churches compared to what other pastors were getting paid in their particular churches. And some of my colleagues really have a problem with not living within themselves. Now, who am I kidding? I was just as guilty as all of the rest. It seems like when we come together, you know, a, a, a large group of, of, of pastors, uh, we can do keeping up with the Joneses about as well as anybody. It's hard not to compare yourself and your church and your ministry with others. And when we do, we always find ourselves deficient, not quite good as, and, and not focused on our own abilities and our own beautiful gifts and, and, and what God has blessed us with to bloom where we're planted. We fail to remember that the Joneses have the very same issues that we have, just different names and different settings. Comparing ourselves to others is never spiritually healthy. Oh, you can make a case that it's certainly not psychologically helpful, but, but I'm going to say it's never spiritually healthy. I remember one of my seminary professors, uh, Dr. Tex Sample, uh, he could tell stories so very beautifully and I loved to, to, to hear him tell stories. And he told a lot of stories about his hometown growing up in Brookhaven, Mississippi. One of my favorite stories that Tex would tell was about a classmate of his named Pops. He said that from the time that Pops was a little boy that he had to work hard for everything because his parents were very poor. He said, you could hear Pops walking through the streets even before he was in his teens. And he would say, peanuts, popcorn, razor blades. And those were the items that he would sell just to make a little extra money that he would give to his parents who just couldn't make ends meet. And, and because of his chant, peanuts, popcorn, razor blades, he was given the nickname Pops. When Pops was 12 or 13 years old, he fell deeply into love or like with a, a girl in his class named Kate. She had blonde hair and blue eyes. Tech said, he can remember she was the prettiest girl in the class. He said that Pops worked up his nerve to ask Kate on a little teenage date. They were going to go to the picture show. And, and so he'd saved up enough money, additional money. Other than that, he gave it to his parents. And he asked Kate if she would go to the picture show with him on Saturday. Well, she didn't give him an answer at first. And, and so he, he kept trying to find her to see if she had accepted his invitation. 
After lunch, she seemed to be avoiding him. The next day, uh, he, 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 he was trying to get her attention and, and to ask her, and finally he did. He said, Kate, what about it? Can you go to the show tomorrow? She said, no, Pops, I can't go. He said, why? She said, well, I just can't go. Pop said, well, why can't you go? And, and she said, my parents won't let me go, Pops. He said, why won't your parents let you go? She said, I'd rather not say. He said, I want to know, why won't your parents let you go? And Kate said, Pops, they say you're not good enough for me. And Kate's parents got their wish, Tex said, because... She married a boy in their class, Billy Wakely. He became the town banker. And in the meantime, Pops, when he turned 15 years old, he bought an old raggedy truck and he started hauling gladioli oil down to New Orleans. And that old raggedy truck became a new truck. And that new truck became a small fleet of trucks. And that small fleet of trucks became a large fleet of trucks. And by the time Pops was in his late 20s, he was a millionaire. Tech said that he ran into Pops at their 25th reunion, high school reunion. And he said, I started kidding Pops a little bit. I said, Pops, I hear that you've made a lot of money. Oh, he said, don't believe all you hear. Tech said, no. Pops, the story is around here that you're a millionaire. Pops laughed and said, oh, my goodness, don't believe all of that. Tex said, no. In fact, they say you got a lots of millions. Pops just kind of became a bit embarrassed at all of that. And then Tex said, you know what, I'll bet you a, a nickel to a donut pops that you don't put your money in Billy Wakely's bank pop said well Tex you'd lose that bet I put every penny I make in Billy Wakely's bank I want Billy and Kate to know exactly what I'm worth you know there's something about that story that we like but there's something about that story that is haunting and somewhat sad. Hear the words again of Paul. Don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. All he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's Spirit do the growth work in him, Harvest the crop of real life, eternal life. If we plant jealousy, 
we reap jealousy. If we plant covetousness, we reap covetousness. Paul teaches us in Galatians, the fifth chapter, right before this closing comment, he teaches us about the fruit of the Spirit that comes from God's planting deep within our hearts. Oh, and we know that fruit. Love and joy and peace and all of the rest. When we allow that kind of fruit to grow on the plant that God has placed within us, when that fruit we bear is through our own gifts and through our own abilities and through our own thankfulness for who God has made us to be, then we start finding out our true purpose and living healthily into the way that God would have us live and be. You know, the only time when a comparison game can be healthy is when we admire the Jesus Christ in another person. Do you hear me? It's not when we compare ourselves to another person, but when we admire how Christ lives in and through another person, that's a beautiful thing. And letting that person know how you enjoy seeing Christ's fruit in them is encouraging to another Christian. You know, Kay Eck is on our staff, our executive pastor. She came to this church some years ago as a junior high teacher. She started working with the youth at our church, and particularly a group of girls. My daughter was one of those girls who just loves Kay. In fact, when she had her wedding, guess who officiated? It wasn't her dad. It was Kay. She started going on mission trips, Kay did, and and particularly mission trips to Honduras. And after one summer doing a couple of weeks in Honduras, she decided the next summer she'd just spend most of the summer in Honduras. And it was through that mission work that God called her into ministry. God called her into um, the fullness of her own gifts and talents to do God's work as an ordained minister. So she went to seminary and she came on staff here full time. She worked on staff, went to seminary, um, graduated from seminary, um, became ordained as a deacon in the United Methodist Church, and she's been on our staff ever since. You know, I came across something that Kay wrote this past week and I had filed it away as something that was notable and quotable. Here's what she said and I want us to listen. God wants us to get rid of our old pretend selves. Those parts of us that are trying our best to be something or someone we're not or get stuff so that we're like everybody else who has stuff. 
if you will let him, God will renew you in his image. God is calling us to live an authentic life, to have courage, to be genuine, to be secure in the person God has made us to be. Isn't that a beautiful quote? Right in keeping with what Paul was all about. Paul was saying to uh, the, the, the churches, the people of the Galatian churches, don't try to be like others say you should be. Be like God wants you to be. God has given you this free gift of salvation. God's grace is yours. Live into that grace. It's free. And it's exactly for you. I love what Kay said. Be secure in the person God has made you to be. Let us be sure that it is the Holy Spirit that makes us into the likeness of Jesus. And, and we admire the Holy Spirit and the likeness of Jesus that we see in other Christians. But our prayer is, God, here I am, who you have made with my gifts and my abilities. I want to be all that I can be for you. I want to do all that I can do for you. Holy Spirit, I submit myself all of who I am so that you can have your way with me. I think I want to sing because this scripture text reminds me so much of an old hymn and I think many of you know. So let's meditate on these words as we end this message today. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way Thou art the potter I am the clay Mold me and make me After thy will While I am waiting Yielded and still have thine own way Lord have thine own way search me and try me master today 
whiter than snow, Lord, wash me just now, as in thy presence humbly I bow. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Hold o'er my being absolute sway. Filled with thy spirit till all shall see. Christ only always living in me. Christ only always living in me. Amen.